what you're looking at is a large family. Amen? As I look back at Kim and Brent back there, the day you guys went to Twin Lakes, Greg and Sherry when you went to Peru, you know, your family sends you off in different ways, different services. But it's good to know that when you take a step like this, you've got your brothers and sisters in your corner. Isn't that a good feeling? You know, the family is my favorite metaphor for the church. And again, that's not the building. Are you with me? When I say the church, we're talking about people like like you. The faces I'm looking at, amen? That's the church. And the family is my favorite metaphor used in the Scriptures to describe the church. Now, just a little bit of trivia for you, for those who like numbers and facts. Do you know there are about nine metaphors in the New Testament for the church? Uh, We're called a vine, we're called a building, we're called a body, we're called an assembly, we're called an army. And there's a few others, but my favorite is the metaphor of the family. And so this morning, I want to just talk to you as a family about how to act in the family from our scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 5. When you find that portion of your Bible, it speaks about the church's behavior. And I think it's interesting to note that when he describes how the church is to behave, he goes immediately to the metaphor of a family. Now, when I say that, some of you might think, man, you, the church shouldn't act like my family. <laughs> you may be thinking that. I don't know. But how about we set a new template today? How about we see from God's Word exactly how He says the family, the church, uh, should behave. First Timothy chapter 5. I'll be reading in verse 1. Paul instructed Timothy here, Do not rebuke an older man harshly. You see that there? But instead, exhort him as if he were your father. This is the beginning part of verse 1. And I want you to notice a couple of verbs that are mentioned in this very first verse. Okay, have your pen handy. Take some good notes here. He mentions the word rebuke, that we're not to do that. This is the only time in the New Testament this verb is used. Now, you'll find the English word rebuke several times in the New Testament. But there are different words for that in the Greek language. And this is the only time this actual Greek word is used. And it means to, uh, to embarrass in a public way. It means to censure. would be a word that perhaps you could put your hands around. You've thought back to different political figures uh, and the censuring process that happens and how that looks. He says here, we're not to call out in an embarrassing, humiliating way and uh, those that are in the church. Now, he does mention an older man first, but I want to say something to you. The verbs here, uh, not to rebuke, and in the words to exhort, apply to all the people groups in this verse. You say, well, how do you know that, Todd? Well, let me just explain to you that when you look in the Greek language, you look for words, uh, verbs and nouns that agree. And all of the different nouns in this, ver- in this verse, these first two verses, mothers, excuse me, women, brothers, uh, older men, and so forth, they all relate to the word exhort. And so when you, when, you talk about, when you talk about treating the church members right, how do you treat your family? We're not to embarrass or, or publicly call people out in a humiliating way, but we're to instead, the Bible says here, exhort them. 
Specifically in this case, an older man. The word exhort is an awesome word because it is a combination of two words. It's a combination of the word to call and the word alongside of. So when I exhort someone, I'm hearing their call to come alongside them and walk with them. Are you with me? In fact, this word exhort is parakaleo. And did you know that the noun form of that is the name given to the Holy Spirit? When Jesus said, I will send you another comforter, I will send you another parakletos, He's saying, I will send you one who will come alongside of you in the church family. And this is written specifically to Timothy, so I accept this instruction first and foremost here, right here with our elders. And this is, a, to be most textually correct, this is what church leaders have to do. But I'll make some application to all of us, don't worry. But in this boat that we're rowing as church leaders, we're not to publicly embarrass and humiliate people in order to get them to act the right way. That doesn't mean there's not a place for the public exposure of sin. In fact, we'll see later in 5 and 6 of this same book that elders who sin were rebuked before all, but it's a different word. And the idea of publicly embarrassing someone is against Scripture. Instead, when you hear the call of the church family saying, Hey, I'm struggling. I'm in need. Then church leaders specifically should come alongside of them. Hear the call and walk with them. Doesn't that picture a family for you? Isn't that what families do? We walk together through life. And so no wonder that the metaphor of the family here is given as the way we're to behave in church. And by that I mean among each other. We're to hear the call of our brothers and sisters and our fathers and our mothers. We're to hear the call of the older women, the older men, the younger women, the younger men. And we're to walk along with them. That's the real gist of these two verses. And then he says... Not, he says not to do that to older men first, but to treat uh, them as a father. And then he says to younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. He kind of like sets the stage. He says, here's what you're not to do and here's what you are to do. And you're to do it with these kinds of people. Older men, older women, younger men, younger women. Now, I would make an observation for you that's really deep. All of you fit into one of those categories. In fact, let me explain to you how I think Timothy read this verse. Because there's an understood you that begins the verse. When he says, do not rebuke an older man, the understood you is, Timothy, you're not to do this. And so as Timothy read these first two verses, he's thinking, okay, older men, older women, younger men, younger women. In his mind, he probably thought this. He thought, okay, so whatever age I am, I guess those older than me would be older men and older women. And if they were younger than Timothy, he's thinking, I guess they're a younger man, younger woman. Which is why sometimes we're not given ages about what's older or younger. I tend to think, watch this, that it's, it's kind of based on the person who's doing the treating. Does that make sense? I mean, Timothy here, we don't know his age. He could have been around 30. We know he was somewhat young and probably felt intimidated by that because he was dealing with older people. And I think his age, whatever it was, was the line for him to say, okay, if you're above that, then you're an older man or a woman. And if you're below that, you're younger. So when it comes to applying the Scripture, then I have to say, okay, as a pastor at First Family, as I deal with our church... Some of you are older and some of you are younger. But let's say you're dealing with another one of our elders or dealing with each other. You may be younger to someone but older to another. Does that make sense? So in a lot of ways, these verses will, will have some real good application for us. And based on who you're around, you'll need to adopt them and apply them and live them out. 
You may be older in one case and younger in another. And that's why in this ver- in these verses, He lays out for us a, a wide range and, and, a, and an all-inclusive plan here to how to treat folks in the church, how to behave among each other. And I want to just go through these four categories and just give you a key word for each one, okay? Because it's really not a hard verse. These two verses aren't hard to understand. We're not to embarrass publicly. We're not to, to uh, try to leverage you with humiliation. Instead, we're to walk alongside of you. And here's how we do that with all the different age groups. First of all, he says to older men, I wrote down the word in my mind that we're to come alongside older men with respect. Just jot that word down, would you? That's a key word when I think about how we're to treat older men like a father. Now, now listen very carefully, first family. As we talk about the people in this verse, the fathers, the mothers, the brothers and sisters, some of you are going to have grand and glorious thoughts because you were raised and you are in a wonderful family. But some of you are going to have negative thoughts. You're going to have thoughts you wish didn't enter your head because you remember a father who abused you or a mother who was absent or a brother or sister who treated you awful. And I want you to know something. There's been a group of people praying all week long that God would arrest those negative thoughts and give you the ability this morning to at least think about words like father and mother and sister and brother in a biblical, positive way, okay? We know that things happen in life that sometimes you can't control and you're left to respond to those. Maybe this morning would be the morning that God would free you from the bondage of of having to be bitter or, or mad at someone who is a father or a brother and could free you to see perhaps the church as not the family you had physically, but the family that God envisioned spiritually, so to speak. So we're praying. Because we're well aware that, as we mention these words, not everyone has the kind of thoughts other people have. Let's pray that God would give us His thoughts for fathers, mothers, sisters, and brothers. Amen? That's why He says here, treat an older man like a father. You know something I would never do? And I don't want to use the word never a lot. But I hope that I would never embarrass and publicly humiliate my dad. I mean, I said this before and it's true, my dad is my hero. He's um, one of the best friends I have. We don't talk every day and he lives down in Tennessee, but he's just been the most instrumental person in my life. I trust that I would always have the ability to know how to respect him. I recall the day he called me and asked me an astounding question. I was This was probably 10 years ago. I was in my mid-30s. And um, he had been asked to be the university of a college. And he called me and he said, Hey, son, you got a few minutes? I said, Sure, Dad, let's talk. And we chatted about sports first, like we always do in the University of Tennessee and how atrocious they are at football and uh, different things. And we just have a good time talking. And he, and he said, Hey, listen, I need to ask you a question. I said, sure, and I thought maybe about, maybe like when we're coming down, or maybe mom, or health, maybe of somebody, or a grandparent. He said, the university's asked me to be president. What do you think I ought to do? Now, I don't remember the rest of that conversation. I have no idea what I said to him. I don't recall how that phone call ended. All I remember is thinking, why would you ask me that? I was supposed to ask you the questions, you know. And I'm sitting there, I was just kind of bombarded but that my dad would really want to know what I thought. And it, it, it really bred in me. It generated this sense of respect. Uh, and my dad had a way of doing that throughout my whole life. He had a way of bringing respect out of me. He didn't demand it. 
He didn't sit at the table and say, this is the head of the table, my fork and my knife and my rules and my money, and you don't respect me or you'll get out of here. I never recall my dad even acting that way. He just had a way of letting me talk sometimes, which was sometimes dangerous. But he would just ask questions. He would let me talk. And over the course of a lifetime, it bred in me an incredible amount of respect. I saw him love my mother unconditionally. I saw him always keep his word. Um, And just over the course of all those years, that phone call kind of epitomizes to me the way my dad interacted with me, which in turn caused me to respect him. I remember thinking that in response to that question, what I don't want to do is say something here. Well, Dad, how could you even think about not accepting that? What's wrong with you? You must be getting senile. I didn't answer like that. I didn't say, well, Dad, if you had any spirituality about it, you'd pray about it first. I didn't answer like that. In other words, there's no way and there's no reason to answer my dad in a disrespectful way. That same attitude that I have towards him, I should have towards the men in our church who are older than me. That's as plain as I can put it. Your church leaders should have the same respect to older men. And I just want to encourage you... if. You interact with church people as well. So follow the example of your church leaders. And those who are older than you have an attitude of respect to them. He says when it comes to younger men, I think that's the next word here, isn't it? He says treat younger men as brothers. The word camaraderie came to mind. I will walk alongside a younger man as if he were my brother with a sense of camaraderie. Now, here's how I arrived at that. I don't have a brother, first of all. So I don't have any idea what it's like to, to, to live with uh, another male that's a brother. I don't know. I have two sisters and that's it. So I ask a lot of questions around our office and with our elders. And uh, by and large, this was the word that kept coming up. People would say, man, my brother and I, man, we would duke it out of home. But once we left house, man, we were thick. We'd support each other and we'd stick together. One of our ladies said, my brother, man, he'd pick on me at home. I'm not saying that's right. She was just stating her situation. He'd pick on me or, or sometimes it seemed like we were arguing, but once we left the house, I mean, I could bank on my brother to, to be there for me. He always had my back. Another one of our staff members says, you know, when, when I think about brothers, I think about folks who've got your back. Someone else used a military example. Like It's like you're, you're kind of in the trenches with people that you know you can count on. Camaraderie. That's how we're to treat younger men. Notice what's not here. It's not a sense of looking down on someone. John Dawson is a struggle or a question. I don't say, well, John Dawson, good night. What is your deal? And I don't just start, you know, berating him with, with words that would demean him. I come alongside him, watch this, as a peer. That's what the Bible says here. As a brother. Someone who has a common relation. So camaraderie should, should typify those um, who are younger than us and how we relate to them. Look at the next word. He says here we should treat older women as mothers. I struggled with this because I thought, how do you, how do you treat a mother? You know, how, how, do you, how does that look in a church? How does it look in a family? So I asked some more questions among people this past few weeks. And I came up with two words that I think most folks settled on. And that's these two words. So really you get five words today, not four. There's four groups with five words. That's appreciation slash affection. When we're dealing with older women, we ought to walk alongside them with these words kind of as, as a guide for us. Appreciation and affection. I mean, think about it. I just said this to you earlier, that my dad's a real hero in my life. 
But if I were to say, if someone were to say, well, man, who do you want to give thanks to for, for different things? I might say, you know, I appreciate my mom. And I would start using words of endearment. I talk about memories and the way she stayed up after practice and had a meal for me and the way that, that she'd always just, you know, listen to my problems instead of giving me the, the correct answer. And, and words of endearment would kind of pour out of me. I appreciate my mother. And the truth is, I've noticed this about guys. The way you show affection to your mom changes as you get older, especially in contrast with how you show affection to your dad. With guys, the affection you show your dad decreases as you get older, and it probably should. In other words, you don't really kiss on your dad when you get about 8, 10, 11. But as you get older, even in junior high and high school, you feel kind of awkward hugging your mom. But I've noticed that you suddenly begin to be more affectionate with your mom in the right way. I mean, as a sophomore, I struggled sometimes knowing how to hug my mom in public. Or, you know, I'm like, well, okay, mom, whatever, you know. And, but now, man, when I see my mom, it's like, mom, come here, and you just wrap her up and you hug her. I don't wrap my dad up and hug him so much. I shake his hand, we hug, but it's different. You see what I'm saying? With the mother, your affection, your appreciation tends to kind of be expressed in a more visible way. And I want to say this to you. With our older women here in the right way, that's a, that's a neat way to think about how to treat older women. With the right kind of affection and appreciation. You know, often in the culture here written in Ephesus, the older women, as we'll see later on about widows, the older women were left without a lot, a lot of the necessities of life. It was a struggle to meet their needs. And significance and things like that were difficult. They were often abandoned or, or, or left to fend for themselves. And you can see why Timothy would be a real source of encouragement to an older woman when he would just gently and calmly walk alongside of her like he would his own mother. Isn't that cool? Then the last group mentioned here, it says younger women as sisters. I like this one the best, by the way. I did have two sisters. And Paul says to Timothy, I want you to relate to younger women as sisters. And then this phrase with absolute purity, which is connected directly to sisters. Now, am I saying that we should act impurely to other people? Not at all. But I want to be textually correct with you. Just as I know these verses are actually most specifically written to pastors and elders, I also know that this word purity relates specifically to the idea of younger women. So here's what he's saying. He says, Timothy, when you're dealing with women younger than you, you can't have any thought of, of lust or having the wrong kind of physical relationship with them. You've got to treat them like a sister. Now think about that. Paul is incredibly wise in, in how he said this. Remember the Disney movie where they're arguing about some girl? Or I think this like this a movie with cats and dogs in it. I think, and one of the characters says, "She's not a girl. She's my sister." Remember that line? But you get the impression that when it's a brother and sister, man, you just don't think about your sister like you think about other girls. Are you with me? I mean, when a guy hits puberty, his eyes are opened up and, and things begin to happen, but not towards his sister. Are you with me? They're not part of that equation, and rightly so. And I love the way Paul says, Timothy, to all the younger women, you'd better look at them like your sister. Any type of impurity or lust should not be part of the equation. Amen? Now you think about the security that would develop in a church family if the older women, the older men, the younger women and younger men all knew. Listen, listen church. If everyone knew, when I'm gathered together with my family, my spiritual family, I don't have to worry about some man looking at me in the wrong way. 
because he's going to treat me like a sister. I don't have to worry about some young know-it-all embarrassing me. He's going to treat me like a father. Are you with me? Can you imagine the security that would begin to grow when we realize we're going to treat each other like we're family? Because the truth is, we are. In fact, write this simple sentence down, would you? Just a kind of way to sum up some of the things in these verses here. That, that we should treat each other as if we are related to each other. Because in Christ, we are. Amen. Now, let me lay a little more information on you here that will bring this tension even a little higher. And I think it will end in some positive aspects. We were talking in staff meeting this week about this, these verses and what this meant. And I can't definitively say to you that you won't know your physical family in heaven. I don't know that for sure. I hope we do. I mean, I know there's no marriage in heaven. I know that. Will I know Julie as my wife? Probably not. Will I know my kids as my kids? I tend to think I won't. And I know that probably rubs some of you the wrong way. You're thinking, well, Todd, I've got a grandpa there, or I've got a little baby there. And that's not meant to sound crass at all. I'm just trying to be a, a little more biblically cranial with you for a moment. I don't know that physical relationships continue in heaven. I don't know that they do or don't. I tend to think they don't. But I do know what does continue. Listen very carefully. Our spiritual relationships. And guess who becomes, at least in a... And he's our Father now, but when we get to heaven, He'll be visible. He, we'll see the Lord Jesus Christ, our brother, and God the Father. We'll be there. He'll be our Father. We'll be connected to each other. The truth is this, guys. Our spiritual family will last a lot longer than your physical one. Now, you may have a hard time wrapping your hands around that and thinking, I don't want to think about that, and I'll let the Lord work that out in your heart. But if we consider that, and what that principle would mean, we would treat each other differently. Some things would happen. And now I'm going to really get personal with you. We would think twice before we just walk out on a, on a church relationship or commitment. You know that? We would. We wouldn't be near as quick to say, I'm done here. Because we know that, you know what, we, this is our family. Well, we're connected. I made a strong, uh, strong commitment here. I can't just check out because I didn't get my way one time. Now, are there honest times when God leads people? to di- different local bodies, different expressions of His body. Sure there are. I wouldn't doubt that at all. I'm not arguing that. But I'm saying that we should elevate the reasons for those and think twice before we just jump from here to there to there. Amen? Because we're, we're part of a family. Last time I checked, you just don't jump from family to family over every last meal you cooked that wasn't right. Or last time you didn't get the $5 before you hung in there. You fought for it. You believed in it. And I say to you, as honestly and plain as I can, that kind of attitude would serve every church well. If it's people would say, we're going to hang in here. We're going to stick together. And that's what's called for in these verses. I also think it would help us understand the real importance of training our kids in our home. Listen to this. Listen to this. For my son to know how to treat another younger woman one day, I'd better show him how to treat his sister. Because the Bible calls him to treat other young women as what? Sisters. It is imperative that I understand that and train him to treat his three sisters right. Otherwise, I may be doing a disservice to hundreds of other young women he's in a church with one day. Are you with me? The same thing's true for, for Bethany and Brianna and Brooke. 
I should treat, teach them how to treat their brother because one day they're going to need to treat younger men as brothers. Do you see how valuable your home becomes? And parents, listen very carefully. I trust you will take very seriously the kind of relationship training you're doing in your home because it is over. They're going to know how to treat other people in the church one day based on what they learned in your home today. It really elevates and highlights the need for parents to train their children well. How does my son know how to treat an older man? He probably watches how how I treat my father. How Julie treats her dad. Are you with me, guys? That's such a plain and simple verse, isn't it? So there's a commitment I want to make to you again today. I think we I know I've made this commitment, but I want to make it again to you because I know that I've I failed at it at times. I know there are people in this church that I haven't treated right. And that's not been my heart or intention, but I know it's happened. And I, I this week I've said had several times I say, God, just erase any kind of hurt from my life or their life. Just God heal things supernaturally. And I just want to thank the Lord that that's not been a constant or a big thing at our church, amen. But I'm sure there's been times I've not done well in this environment. And I want to recommit myself, as we did when we started our church, to just pastoring in a way that that when people call you alongside, that we do that as we would a father or a mother or a sister or a brother. In fact, I want to say this to you guys with humility and, and boldness. I commit to treating you, and I'm going to show you a picture of who you are. There's a picture of our anniversary service. There's a couple of shots. There's one of 8.30, one of 10.30. I commit to treating you, our church, like I treat the other picture here going to show next, my family. Like up in the upper left, my father and mother. To the older men and women in this church, I'll do my best to treat you the same way I treat my father and mother. To the younger women in this church, I will treat you like I would treat my sisters. To the younger men, I don't have a brother, but I'll do the best I can to understand how a brother relates to a brother. And I put a picture of my kids up there and my wife because you know what? They're going to be watching that and one day they're going to relate to people who are their spiritual brothers and sisters. In other words, the people in my immediate physical family should be a good place to learn how to treat those in my eternal spiritual family. A few weeks ago, um, I was called and someone asked me to walk with them through a situation. My first thought was, that's going to be embarrassing. It was fleshly and carnal and wrong. We talked on the phone and I hung up and I thought, God, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can do that. And the Lord immediately took a hammer to my heart. He didn't just tap. He took a big old 12-pound sledgehammer right to my heart. He said, wham! That's a carnal, fleshly, selfish thought. He said, what have I called you to do? What have I called you to be? And, and immediately, I just, I just repented. I said, God, I don't know where that thought came from. I do know where it came from. It came from a, a fleshly, uh, carnal nature. Amen. And I said, God, I'm sorry. And I repented. And I just recommitted to saying, God, I'm going to walk with people through whatever comes their way in life. We'll just walk together. We'll get through this somehow. 
I just want to say to you, first family, that should be the heartbeat not only of our of your pastor and of your elders, which I know that's the heartbeat of. If we could all adopt that, wouldn't that be the kind of security that would breed growth and trust and authenticity in a body of believers when we treat each other like the family we really are? This morning I call upon you to live like family. God's picture of a family. To treat each other like brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. When that doesn't go real well, to have the courage to go back and say, listen, I didn't do this well, I'm sorry. Sometimes, by the way, when it's our family, we have more courage to hold people to the line, don't we? And that's a good thing. Sometimes in churches we act like we're not family at all. We're like we're strangers and we never hold anybody to what they say and do their word. We don't act like we even know each other. I think there's some really deep things in these verses about how we can treat each other. What we can expect from each other. How we help each other walk through life. That's what families do. My heart this week is to say, let's be first family. What do you say? Pattern after 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Let's be what God's called us to be.